0: Welcome to Under the Hood of Developer Marketing, the podcast devoted to developer marketing, relations, evangelism, and advocacy. I'm Stathis Georgopoulos, and I'm your host. In each episode, I welcome a guest from the developer marketing world. We talk about best practices, challenges, lessons learned, and share insights, data, and experiences to help you boost your devrel game, talk to, and engage with developers. This podcast is brought to you by Slashdata, the leading analyst of the developer economy, and DevRelX.com, a hub devoted to providing resources for developer marketing professionals, including developer ecosystem trends, news and job openings, webinars, a book, and a bi-weekly digest you can subscribe to. Access them all at DevRelX.com. Let's see what's under the hood of today's guest. While today,
1: and, and we can see that also from, from your trends, uh, graphs, the expectation from developers is so much higher. And so companies are are definitely not only reacting there, I would say actually investing in it to to make sure that actually everything that a developer needs are there from day one. I have had a number of conversations with executives in Santander who said things like, unless we have I Y, Z, I don't even want to go live. Like, the bar is so much higher and so
0: i can see developer relations continuing moving in that direction welcome to the second episode of under the hood of developer marketing season three today's guest is andrea trasati who is the director of developer ecosystems at banco santander andrea welcome to the show thank you very much Statis, and thank you for having me here today we're happy to have you will you please introduce yourself to our listeners
1: absolutely so hello everyone um, I'm very excited to be on the show, been following it for the past couple of seasons. And um, my name is Andrea Trazatti, like Stati said. Um born and raised in Italy. I was a developer for quite a bit of time. And then, you know, I decided that I wanted to discover the world and live in other places. So from Italy, uh, where I lived for actually still the majority of my life, I moved to Ireland, I lived there for about three years, I moved to cold and freezing Finland, and now I've been in the U.S. for about eight years.
0: How did you end up in your current role at uh, Banco Santander? Was there a role model that led you to start learning how to become a developer or a driving force? Led you all the way to where you are today through four countries and totally different climates? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's right definitely i did like
1: the climate in italy uh, that was not one of uh, one of the things that i wanted to change but i think that as a as a kid i still remember being i don't know like 10 or 11 and going to my parents and bothering them that i really 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 wanted a commodore 64 uh, at the time i admit you know my pitch to my parents was that i wanted to learn programming i wanted to learn these new technologies truth is I just wanted to play video games on the Commodore 64. I remember playing uh, the Olympics games for like hours and hours. But in reality, I was actually really fascinated by the technology and, and the idea that you could do magical things with this device on, on your table, on your desk. And so I did start a little bit of basic programming back then. Uh, and then I went I went into actually a full-time role after school and started working at a BBS to provide internet access to people. And, you know, this was like the nineties, the mid nineties, uh, we were, we had a BBS, we had like 30 or 40 modems all connected, you know, with people dialing up. And I still remember looking at the modems, just sitting there and looking at them, like turning it on and off with people connecting and accessing like the very basic web that was available at the time. And I thought it was fascinating. I thought it was, like really exciting to to connect and to communicate with people that were across the world on the other side of the world doing something completely different right completely different background from from me from from people you know that I knew from school or from my little town so that's that's kind of what started me and and really got me excited about computers in general. Uh, I was a developer for about ten years and and I got into open source I was very excited about open source. I thought that open source was revolutionary, a different way of thinking, and that it would kind of change the world. And so I participated to a few open source projects like as a little bit of a contributor, but then I was owning together with another person one uh, big open source project that actually got quite popular that was about mobile phones, like creating content for mobile phones. We're talking about the early days. We were talking about ringtones and picture messaging on your old black and white Nokia phones. That's what we were building. And then it evolved into mobile web. You know, it was called WAP first, then mobile web. And so open source is what got me into developer relations. I think that in the early days of running the open source project, I don't even know if people called it developer relations, but it was about interacting with developers. It was about collaboration. It was about... Uh, working together to create something bigger. You know, I was myself a PHP developer at the time. The other co-owner was a Java developer. We didn't have the time or the will to build for 10 different programming languages. And so we had to rely on other people to create a Python library, to create a C library, and all of these other plugins you know, that enhance the open source project. Not to mention, of course, the data that we're, we were collecting as part of the project. And so that's what accidentally I would say got me into developer relations. I was actually um, chatting with some people uh, recently that are also in developer relations. At, and someone else was telling me how they have also been in developer relations for a long time. And a lot of people in quote unquote my generation, like people that have been in developer relations for a few years, many of them have fallen into it by accident while now. Which is super exciting for me is people are picking this as a career and they're saying, now I'm going to do this. For me, it was more like, oh, I want to interact with all of these developers. And uh, oh, by the way, wait, there's a job and some people get paid for this. And so for me, it was a gradual change from developer to developer relations. I did that as part of the open source project completely, basically in my own time. And then gradually became more and more important in my actually day-to-day job. If I have to think about a role model, I don't know that there is one role model. I think that back in the day when I started being in developer relations, maybe the only role model was Guy Kawasaki, which to me actually did something slightly different from uh, from what I do, what developer relations does today. And so I don't know that there was one exact role model. It was more like oh, that person in that company or that company right in that program is doing something interesting, something that I think would be worth doing. And so it, it was more like the a mosaic coming together and picking pieces left and right about what I wanted to do. More specifically about Santander, I think for me personally, it's a combination of two things. One is the challenge of the idea of a bank that wants to build a developer platform, that wants to build a developer ecosystem. So it's a little bit of the challenge of, can we do this? You know, Can we go uphill to push this uh, together? Because the bank is interested and invested enough to build a team and to, you know, to pay our salaries, but you know, it's, it's a cultural change, it's a shift, and, and, and the idea of building something completely new. The idea that the bank, when I joined, had already built some foundational pieces for a developer ecosystem but that a lot of it still needed to be created and so the combination of the new the novelty and the challenge of saying is it possible right is the is the mentality completely different is it not possible for you know a consumer company like Santander that has been around for more than 160 years to do this Uh, and so that's what got me here
0: well, that's great, thank you very much for uh sharing this you know great story back in your uh, commodore years, would you say that there was a habit there that you picked up and you still carry to work life today? I don't know if it
1: would be a habit or it's more like a trait of my personality, but at least you know when I grew up in Italy, there was no uh programming classes that you could take. It was all self learning it, it was whatever you liked and so for me, I just picked up a, a book about basic programming, and you know I just started typing on the keyboard and I did it and then the other piece, which I think is similar for other people in in computers that are my age, but you know it was about getting together with other people. It was meeting up with my schoolmates that also were passionate about computers and trying to figure out what is it that you are building, what is it that how are you doing this routine or how are you writing this and so I, I did develop like friendships with two or three people that were coming to school with me, that were also into computers and you know were were doing trying to do programming uh, like me, and so we were exchanging notes and exchanging experiences. And I think that that is what evolved for me into today, both uh, being a self learner, which you know comes with pros and cons, but also the the community aspect. I think of developer relations, where I definitely see myself a lot doing it or using it, which is going to forums and, you know, asking people for help or, or trying to find an answer to a question that I have that someone else might have had the same problem. And so this, this self-learning experience, back when I was a kid, it was about buying a couple of programming books and, and copying a few programs and, you know, learning some of the rules and then experimenting. Today with the internet, we go to Stack Overflow or some other websites and we can find essentially every possible answer. And so that's probably what I kept with me is the continuous learning and continuous discovery of, of new things. That's probably what I carried with me.
0: Yeah, kind of like a self-driven curiosity, which is definitely a good driver to have, to have with you, especially from a, such a young age
1: yes and there's also a little bit of obsession with like new shiny things um, <laughs> and you know being like "Ooh, look at that it's it's so interesting let's let's try how it works
0: i think this never goes away if you have it yes correct <laughs> <laughs> um teased us a bit uh with your current role i don't want to get yet to it, because I want first to go to my favorite section, which is called Let's Talk Data. So yes. I will kindly ask you to pick a graph from devrelx.com trends and tell us why that graph stands out to you.
1: Yeah, for me, and by the way, I didn't mention this, but most of my career as a developer relations was focused on web technologies. And like I mentioned, you know, I talked about WAP and mobile web earlier. But that continued. Even after I stopped working on the open source project, I worked in in web technologies for, for more than 10 years in developer relations. And so for me, my bread and butter has always been HTML, CSS, JavaScript. And so my focus when I think about developers usually was mobile web, hybrid app development using web technologies. So one of the things that for me stands out when I look at at the graphs on on the devexx trends is is java essentially Java and the other programming languages, like how developers are prioritizing programming languages right When I look at your graphs javascript is is huge is is whatever fifty percent bigger than python Python is eight point four million JavaScript is twelve point two so it's you know four million more. And in our world, in the banking world, actually JavaScript is, I'm not going to say at the bottom, it's definitely not at the bottom as a bank, both ourselves and our clients obviously develop websites, uh, but it's not the top language. So in the bank, and a lot of the developers that we talked to today use Java. Java is still the predominant language there. There's some C, C++. There's essentially no PHP, I would argue that. PHP is actually seen as an insecure language that is risky. There's no Kotlin. There's a little bit of Swift, of course. So the um, the priorities, I guess, or, or the presence of the languages is very, very skewed to, I guess, what you would expect, more enterprise, more large corporation languages, where JavaScript, we use it because we have to. But it's not the, if, if I ran a survey in Santander and with the developers, you know, that we work, JavaScript would probably be there, but it would not be the top language that people would pick. And so that's one thing uh, that strikes me of, of where you know the world of development is compared to where banking. And I'm not saying one is right and one is wrong. I think the application is slightly different. And so the bank is picking, the bank and its clients are picking a language that fits that approach and that way of working.
0: Yeah, that not make a perfect sense because you cannot use every language for every purpose. So, especially for a bank, which is by default strict uh, in many applications. And I think you understand what I mean, especially when it comes to security too, because you mentioned it. Yeah, I, I see your point exactly. What do you love most about your current role? That's a great question. And... In a sense, it goes back to
1: a couple of the points that I mentioned right? when I talked about the challenge and the excitement of building something new. So for me, what I really love about this role is, while Santander is a huge company, it's more than 200,000 employees, uh, we are a relatively small team. I am part of Santander Digital and then within Santander Digital, I'm part of the open platform team. And so we are a relatively small team that is trying to actually bring big change to the bank. And we're super excited about that. And so to me personally, what I am most excited about is is this opportunity that we have of changing how third parties work with Santander. The opportunity of saying like, I guess everyone listening to the podcast has at least one bank account. And I, as a person who lived in four different countries, I still have my bank account in Italy. I had bank accounts, of course, in Ireland and Finland, where you know I needed to pay the bills like everybody else. But it was all a closed ecosystem. It was a closed envelope that I could only look into through a bank statement or a PDF, like a printed bank statement, or at best a PDF. What we are looking at in Santander is really to change the paradigm and to open up the bank's resources and the and by resources i don't mean the bank statements but rather the ability you know the operations that you can do with a bank so that we can open this up to developers for them to create something new and something amazing santander has something like 145 million customers it's a huge number right in more than 25 countries uh, the idea that we can open this up to developers for them to both serve our existing customers, to offer services to other customers that today might not be using Santander. Maybe they will open an account in Santander. Maybe we can actually help them execute some transactions without even opening a Santander account, like a payment from one you know, bank account to another, a transfer from one country to another, is pretty amazing. I think it's uh, it's going to open up a completely new set of services and it's going to make banking any financial services not just banking so much more pervasive i think i was i was um, here in california unfortunately with uh, with the coronavirus we're all still sheltered in place many of the you know services have reopened I mean, many of the shops have reopened but of course everyone is kind of cautious and trying to avoid contacts that are unnecessary and so I, I noticed the other day that I haven't used cash in I don't know how many months. And so all of these services that now I'm using either through my phone, through some online payment, or even you know, a contactless payment when I go to the store, all of these things are financial services that somehow help me get through life every day, right? Some some are more exciting, some are less exciting, but they they are part of my everyday life, literally. I think every day, some financial transaction of some shape and form happens for me. And so, and I think this is the same for every family. And so if Santander and our developer ecosystem can make this smoother, faster, cheaper uh, for every customer, I I think that will be an amazing achievement for us.
0: Yes, and uh, as you said, it you know some of these things are more exciting than others. Others are not, but they're all part of everyday life, and I think it's exciting to see how they will progress in the future. You know what the future holds for financial services in that sense, because uh, you said it before: it's a 160-year company, but only recently uh, the need for a developer ecosystem rose, which uh, brought you into. So, what are the challenges faced? when you know setting up a and building a developer ecosystem actually from scratch for a company that has been operating for so long.
1: Yeah. There are a few challenges. I mean, first of all, we as a bank, we need to figure out exactly what is it that we want to open to developers and what is it that is going to bring the most value to developers of the services that we have, right? As a bank in more than 25 countries, with different services in every country. Not in every country we offer mortgages or car loans uh, or even checking accounts. In some countries, actually, something there is only present with uh, lending and not with bank accounts, right? So there there is a huge mix there. And so we are trying to order and sort all of these services to see which ones are best serving the developers. And this is an internal challenge that I think every bank that is global or multinational has because the regulation is so complex and something that I can do in Spain, maybe I cannot do it in the UK or I cannot do it in the US So I need to do it differently. So there's that type of challenge. And then the other challenge with developers, honestly, is that developers don't always think about a bank as the first place that they will go to to find the services that they're looking for i think that a lot of developers will go to paypal will go to you know um, transferwise or plaid here in the us and so we are not the first thought on their mind that's definitely one challenge and probably another challenge is to build a developer site and a set of tools and documentation that is up to the expectation of the developers because we are starting from scratch. I, I started at Santander a little over a year ago. It was uh, May of last year, May 2019. And at that time, we had a developer site. We had three APIs available for developers, very basic documentation available. While, I don't know, a company like TransferWise has been building you know, APIs and documentation for five years, 10 years. So they have you know, a, a time advantage over us and we need to catch up. And so I think these are the two biggest challenges that we have engaging with developers.
0: What do you see as the benefits of building uh, a solid or a developer ecosystem that, you know, makes you happy managing it? Um, what does it offer to the bank? What are the benefits of it?
1: I don't think that this is unique to Santander. I mean. I come from 20 years of developer relations and developer ecosystems, so maybe I am biased. Um, But from my perspective, the reason why a bank like Santander would do this is is a combination of new business opportunities. You know, working with more developers that maybe execute more payments or execute more currency transactions or sign up new mortgages or, or car loans on Santander's behalf will generate revenue for Santander. And the other part is, I think, expansion. So today, you know, th- this is not this is not like universally true. But I would say the majority is: if you want a car loan, you have to go to a car dealer and buy a car and sit there for an hour and sign the papers, etc. Or you need to go to your bank and say, "Oh, I want to buy a car and I need a loan. How much can you give me?" etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. With with a strong developer ecosystem all of this can be improved, all of this can be streamlined. And so for the bank, why this is helpful is it brings new revenue, like I said, but also it streamlines all of these processes and it opens them up to outside of our bank branches. We have a lot of bank branches around the world, but like I said, we don't have branches everywhere and we cannot possibly be everywhere in the world, like physically, right? So when you combine the ability of being on any website, on any mobile app, plus the physical presence, then you have a much stronger story as a bank.
0: Totally agree there. And uh, this will also lead to a better user experience too, right? If, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Santander is
1: a consumer bank, right? Our bread and butter is you and I opening a bank account or the small business owner that has a small restaurant, uh, you know, one restaurant, two restaurants and needs to manage their finances. And so for us, the consumer, the user experience is, is super important. If, if the customer that interacts with Santander is not happy, we're gonna lose that customer or we're gonna lose their business. And so the user experience is very, very important. Uh, Santander has actually, been reworking. This is not developer focused, but I'm gonna like pitch it anyway. Santander has been reworking all of our all of our consumer apps and small business apps for for probably a year. We've launched it in Spain, we relaunched it in Spain about a month ago and we're really launching our apps across the world to improve the user experience, to improve the usability of the app. And I think that that aligns with with what you just asked, right? The the user experience, the consumer—Santander calls it consumer experience—is so 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 important. And so at the same time, if you think about a developer ecosystem, if I am a Santander customer already, and I go into my—I don't—I don't know, you know, my another app that I'm using, another service that I am using, and then it says do you wanna pay with your Santander account? And by the way, paying with your Santander account is gonna be super easy. I don't know, you tap the Santander logo, recognizes your face or your fingerprint and your payment is automatically approved. Like that's great user experience. The consumer, the customer is gonna be so happy that they've had both the security, I see the Santander logo, I use biometrics for recognition and approval. It jumps maybe in the something there up for a second. I say, yes, you know, I really want to make this transaction. I really want to pay $100 or 100 euro. And then magically goes back to the original app and, and the whole flow is done smoothly. I think as a consumer, forgetting all the technology that is behind it, I will be very happy. I will feel like it's safe, secure, and at the same time, much smoother than it would've been with with other ways or with other processes of going to a website, copying your checking account and your IBAN number and whatever, and being like, oh my goodness, it's 24 characters that I need to absolutely get right, otherwise someone else gets my money in their bank account. All of that technology is simplifying it and building a strong ecosystem where actually every member of the ecosystem benefits either directly with revenue or with better user experience or with better, say, conversion rates for signing up, say, for a new service. All of these things help uh, Santander, directly and indirectly.
0: Yes, definitely. And um, the bigger your ecosystem, I guess, the more available things that can be done will be there. So uh, as you said, it's a new endeavor building this developer ecosystem. How did you first approach it?
1: I want to say that I, I came to Santander thinking about you know, the, the tech companies that I worked for, the tech companies that have been a benchmark for me, and thinking that that's what we would build and it would take three months. I think that that was, uh, that was a mistake on my side. It was a little bit too optimistic. I think that one thing that I really, really liked when I first joined Santander was the commitment that we saw internally, that I saw internally meeting with people uh, like i said i live I lived in the u s now for a relatively long time. I am in San Francisco, but Santander is headquartered in Madrid in Spain, which is happens to be close to Italy, which made it extra exciting for me. And, you know, I was extra looking forward to going there. But when I went to Madrid the first couple of times and meeting people for the first time that were participating in the project that had been working on this, it was great. Seeing and feeling their energy, their excitement towards building an open ecosystem was very energizing for me. But going back to your question, um, what I did was really sit down with the teams that had been working on this or that were planning to participate to to the open ecosystem and and hear their stories, hear what they knew, what they wanted, what their experiences was, because my experience is in developer relations and developer ecosystems, but it's not in banking. I know, or I, I now know very little about banking and I knew nearly nothing when I started a year ago, so I needed to absorb all of the information, absorb all of the things that the internal teams thought were strengths of Santander, and all of the things where they thought we had a gap or something to do better. So, that's where I started. And then the next thing that we did, you know, not just by myself, because I think this is such a large project for Santander, uh, for a bank of the size of Santander, is I got together with a few people and we started uh, building a strategy, a three-year strategy of what we wanted to achieve. And, and we started, this this actually lines up so well, I have to say, uh, when I was looking at your trends on DevRelX and, and the parts that developers think are important, I have to say, I wish I had this graph a year ago because it, it actually lines up and validates n- a number of our thoughts of what were the pieces that we needed to get started i think the problem with a company like santander is the expectation is super high santander both because it's a consumer brand and because of the ambitions as, as a global bank as a, you know a top 15 bank in the world we cannot go out with a scrappy website and poor documentation and badly designed apis or sdks it has to be good the first time that you launch it. And so we spent quite a bit of time thinking about, okay, what are the building blocks that we absolutely need? What are the building blocks, the, the pieces of the foundation for a three year plan that we need to have in the first place so that then we can accelerate the growth of the ecosystem, accelerate the number of products that we expose to developers and the number of apps and services that developers build on top of us? You know, there is no start scrappy, low SLA, let's hope everything goes well. And oh my goodness, if we get too many requests, it's a good problem to have like the type of conversation that you would have in a startup. Santander does not think that way. Santander is like, well, we're going to put online an API and it's going to have 99 point something uptime at all times, multi regional. And it's going to support these many thousands of requests. And sometimes, I was going back to the architecture team and saying, well, guys, yes, that sounds great, but we don't have developers. We are like building this. We have tens of developers or maybe hundreds of developers. So we can grow towards that. But uh, as a bank that has a, a very strong reputation also to protect, you cannot do that. And so that's what we did. We, we, we looked at the pieces. We looked at developer side documentation and tools and everything that we wanted to build to create." That ecosystem, uh, and we started putting it on a map. And so today we're about one year into the program. Uh, you know, we built the program during the summer of last year, July, July, August timeframe. So we're just over one year of life of that plan, and we're still working towards uh, the next two years.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's great to hear, and uh, hope everything goes well for the next year, even better than you expect. I totally agree with the part where you say that everything had to be you know, perfect before uh, you launch it. On our last episode, we have uh, Jeff Sankwes from Microsoft, and, you know, he said that you need to think uh, about what a developer is trying to solve. It's late in the night, they want to solve a problem, and you have to be there for them. Uh, they have to know that they, they can rely on your developer program, you know, to find the solution that they're looking for. And I think this yeah. is a, a perfect way, you know, to start building and growing your community. By being Mm -hmm. consistent toward toward the developer. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, How have you been engaging developers so far?
1: So we are in an early stage of our developer program. And um, Santander, being a global company, some countries are a little bit more developer-focused. Developers are more open and interested in the collaboration with the bank. And so in some countries, for example, like the UK and Spain and Brazil, uh, we had we had already started, like the company had already started engaging with developers before I even joined. What we have done as a group is uh, we've tried to bring together those resources, bring together all of those experiences, and and, and try to build a strategy for, for the next steps. So far, uh, Santander has mostly engaged uh, with small groups of developers. So I guess we need to separate. As a European bank... Uh, there's a regulation in Europe called PSD2 that requires all banks to have open APIs for certain type of entities, regulated entities. So first of all, from a regulation perspective, Santander is compliant. And so we have had APIs since since when they were the required uh, in the different countries, UK, Spain, Portugal, et cetera. Uh, but that was, again, following the regulation, making the most Uh, of something that was required of banks, but it was not a a global strategy. Uh, What we have been doing then is leverage those resources that already existed. Before coronavirus, we have been organizing in-person hackathons, in-person events quite a bit. And those were successful at two things, building awareness, building awareness that Santander has APIs, that Santander has a developer program, and they were also helpful testing out some new products. And so some of the hackathons, for example, that the teams in the UK ran in the past were about testing a new product, testing a new API, testing a new idea to see how how well developers would receive it, what kind of feedback they would share, and so on. Of course, we had to pause every in-person event since March of this year, so about six months. Uh, And and our plan going forward is, is a combination. Uh, We want to continue the hackathons. We want to continue in-person events because they've been working pretty well for Santander. There's also, I think, in part, there's this idea of coming together into the office of a big company like Santander that makes it attractive. To developers, the idea of congregating and getting together. And so we want to continue that because, because we can, right? Because we have the office spaces, because we have uh, the facilities to do it. And then the next level though, is going more digital. And so we're going to have some developer uh, marketing happening, uh, probably starting in Q4 of this year, where we want to start I'm gonna call it advertising. It's not advertising in the sense of like TV advertising, but we wanna start build awareness, build thought leadership, and and show not only what Santander has to offer, but also what is it that we're building and why, so that people will understand what is the strategy and how they can align to it or if it aligns with their program. So we have plans uh, for, you know we're building our social media presence, both on Twitter and LinkedIn, uh, we're building content that we will be publishing on our site, on third-party websites, so that our name and brand is out there more, so that people know that Santander not only has the regulated APIs that were required by law to do, so You know, not that exciting, but also that we actually have a set of APIs and services that go beyond the bare minimum that is required.
0: Yeah, that's great, and uh, essentially you're... Uh taking this initial earlier ecosystem and building it into a, a tight-knit community.
1: Absolutely. And this leads to, like in my mind, I, when I, what I was saying earlier is when I, when I came to Santander, you know, how did I approach it? You, you asked me, how did I approach it? And I said, well, I came with the perspective of a tech company. And I think that one of the challenges is that a lot of people don't, don't see something there as a tech company. And they don't realize actually how many engineers something there has and how many APIs and internal services we have developed that we're now looking at exposing to developers.
0: You'd say that the main difference between uh, you know, banking and uh, traditionally tech uh, company a challenge you faced in engaging developers was mostly around awareness?
1: It's definitely around awareness, it's definitely around uh, expectation. I think that a lot of people expect that that because a bank does not think like a tech company, the APIs will not be good or the services will not be good, right? There's there's a low bar of expectation there. They don't realize the the amount of work that actually goes into designing and building a service for developers. And I think I think one of the problems is the communication meaning you know, no matter how how savvy we in the bank are, the expectation or the interest out is very not polarized, but like very strongly feels like either someone really wants to work with a bank, and so they are like, I'm gonna I'm gonna be ready to jump any hoop to to make this to make this work because I really need to work with a bank, or they're not interested. They're like, whatever. I'll wait for Google to have an API to do that, and then. When Google comes, I will do it. And so I think these are the challenges compared to a tech company. But other than that, it's no, it's not very different. We are trying to build services that are present wherever the developer is present. So, you know, as technology agnostic as possible, uh, so that the developer, whether the developer wants to build a native app for the phone or a website or an, uh, asynchronous process to 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 review and edit payments, right? If you're building a um, personal finances app that is helping me make sure that I have money for my retirement or savings for my vacation and, you know, real-time payment information is not so important that you can do it in batches, We we try to essentially serve the broadest number of services. So in that sense, I don't think that our approach is very different from a tech company.
0: Yeah, yeah, I see exactly your point. Now on a bit broader topic, you know, not uh, company specific, but uh, I want to hear your opinion because you have a lot of years of experience in this field. How do you see developer relations evolving in the future?
1: Yep, yep. I I want to start actually from something that is a little bit of a challenge in developer relations, which I think actually there is no right or wrong answer. But I think in my experience, a lot of companies, see developer relations as a function of engineering and other companies see it as a function of marketing because you know we all know that developers don't love direct explicit marketing but at the same time i do think that developer relations definitely has an underlying need and desire to market right i need to build awareness i need to let my developers or my target audience know that, develop, that my developer programs exist and my company services exist. And so I can see why developer relations can be in either of these two buckets. And I'm sure some other companies have some other bucket that I haven't mentioned. But to me, the future is for developer relations to continue gaining credibility and being uh, more and more accepted as, as a real as a real job, let me say, quote unquote, right? When I told my parents <laughs> 10 years ago that I was in developer relations, they were like, okay, but what is it that you do? Now people know, at least in, in technology, people who are you know, developers or technologists, they know what developer relations mean, means. And so I can see developer relations being more and more, let's call it a legit job and function in companies. That's one part. And the other part, I think, is in the, let's call it the consolidation and the uh, strengthening of the services around developer relations. I think that if you look back even five years ago, the expectation for a developer program was was pretty minimal. It was, hey, we're going to have a bunch of APIs out there. Good luck using them. And by the way, they're going to be undocumented and they're going to have no SDKs and they're going to be like, just out there, go figure it out. While today, and, and we can see that also from, from your trends uh, graphs, the expectation from developers is so much higher. And so companies are, are definitely not only reacting there, I would say actually investing in it to to make sure that actually everything that a developer needs are there from day one. I have had a number of conversations with executives in Santander who said things like, unless we have XYZ, I don't even want to go live. Like the bar is so much higher. And so I can see developer relations continuing moving in that direction, continuing moving to, to, to a much more solid baseline. You know, much more complete baseline, and I am hoping better ways to track the performance. I think that if I look back ten years ago, developer relations was a little bit like running a radio ad. you broadcast your message and you hope that people will react and listen and hear it and kind kind of keep your fingers crossed and you you wait and then you count. and I think that we are moving into a phase where actually there's a lot more uh, data you said at the beginning, you love data. I think that we are moving a lot more into an area where actually things are more measurable, performance is more measurable uh, and and I am by the way, I am myself only excited to see this getting better and better.
0: Yes, definitely agree there i, I kept nodding while you were speaking. I see the point too about you know developer relations uh you know compare, especially compared to as you said twenty years ago, what exactly are you doing to Uh, people (laughs) lively pursuing uh, a job in developer relations and this is why uh, we have this podcast to help people better educated on the on the subject on the the, what is needed from the job we have our book developer marketing and relations the essential guide which now gets a third edition and even we have a conference going live in a few days Uh, Mm -hmm. it's the future developer summit September 29 and 30. Uh, the community edition is free, so you can grab your tickets at futuredeveloper.io. Andrea, it's been great having you. I'm sure you've answered a lot of questions, but if people have more questions for you, how can they reach you?
1: Absolutely. And you know, I'm always excited both to hear from people that want to get into developer relations, that are already in developer relations and want to like, share ideas. Uh, going back to my you know, self-learning Thing, always help, happy to exchange notes and hear questions or, or uh, answer questions. They can find me on Twitter. I uh, realize it's probably hard to spell, but it's at Andrea Trazati, all one word on Twitter, and then of course on LinkedIn. Happy to happy to connect with more uh, practitioners and more people that work in our field.
0: Thank you, Andrea, and uh, thank you for joining us. And, uh, thank you I wish very much. You all best of luck with your uh, developer program. Thank you so much. And to our listeners, thank you for listening to Under the Hood of Developer Marketing, the podcast devoted to developer marketing and relations. You can listen to all episodes, find free resources, and the latest news at DevRelX.com. And you can subscribe to our bite sized bi weekly digest or follow us on Twitter at DataHQ. Thank you very much.